Okay, I hope, uh, I hope you've all shared, and you're still sharing, but uh, we, uh, we have a, a, a pleasure indeed today to, to hear a lady that uh, she and her husband Jim started attending church here in 2011, and uh, uh, they were married uh, for 59 years when Jim went, went home to be with the Lord. And I'm sure Mildred, who we are blessed to have her with us, but I'm sure she's waiting for that day when she'll see Jim again and her Savior as well. So, uh, Mildred, uh, I'm, I'm filling in for Phil because Mildred wanted me to inter introduce her, and I can't figure out why. But uh, And she said, all I want you to do is say, here's Mildred. But I'm not... <laughs> But I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, Mildred and Jim uh, had, have five children, and uh, I'm sure she will share some about all of that as well. Uh, but uh, she's a, she's a longtime volunteer at St. Vincent Hospital, and she's been involved with the FIAC program here at Faith Church as well uh, as a volunteer. And I think maybe she wanted me to introduce her because we share something in our backgrounds that uh, is, is a part of our lives uh, that I don't know if, if that's a part of what you're going to share about. Not, not but anyway, uh, Mildred and Jim attended uh, Quaker Church for years, uh, and I grew up in the Quaker Church. And I have a feeling that you went to Quaker Haven Camp probably, maybe not. <laughs> But, but I did when, when I was a kid. And the other thing that uh, we kind of have in common is that she and Yao Sen are both born in September, uh, just a few months apart, or think. Uh, actually, a few years apart, I believe. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not going to mention the year, Mildred, so I won't do that. But anyway. Uh, Mildred, uh, Mildred is just a, if you were in the first service, uh, Mildred represents Jesus quite well, and, uh, and we will be blessed by what she has to tell us, I'm sure. Let me open with prayer, and then, Mildred, you're on. Father, uh, thank you for uh, the fact that you love us uh, through Jesus, and through Jesus, we know you. Thank you for Mildred and her life and the life that Mildred and Jim had together and their five children, and we look forward to her story, her faith story. Bless us as we listen and give her uh, your words to say, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I was born in Indianapolis to a very, very loving family. I had two older brothers and a sister who was only 16 months younger than me, so I never knew a time that I didn't spend with her. We spent every waking moment together and slept together every night. Um, we lived in a very protected neighborhood. We played with each other and our next door neighbors, uh, but never varied far from our home. Uh, my grandparents lived uh, right behind us, and I spent a lot of time with my grandmother, who took 
taught my sister and me to sew early on, and I've always been thankful for that. Um, we always went to church. We went to a small Christian church, and as soon as we could read, we read from the Bible. And all my life, I had heard John 3:16, and because of the love of my family, I I trusted in the love of God. Every Sunday, they gave the invitation to turn your life over to the Lord. And during one of the, I don't know whether it was a junior church time or the big church, but when the invitation was given, um, I went forward and I knew that I wanted to trust my life to God. And my sister followed me up and uh, we were later baptized. And uh, I remember vividly the day we were baptized and immersed my parents, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles were all there to love and support us. Um, when I started school, I came home and my sister and I always played house and dolls and I always wanted to be a mother. But when I started school, I came home and I started playing school with her. So in Indianapolis, they went by the semester so I think you could start in the middle of the year or graduate in the middle of the year. And after she started school, they moved her up a semester. Uh, in seventh grade, my family bought property on the edge of Fishers. And we, we moved to a very small farm, a few acres. And I thought it was the most wonderful place in the world. Uh, the people in the school had grown up together, known each other their whole life. It was far more um, outgoing and warm and loving than the way I had gone to school in Indianapolis. Um, there was only one seventh grade, in cause, and because my sister was only one semester behind me, from junior high through high school, we were in class together. Um, it was amazing that the school was so very small. There was, in the morning, a get-together where the junior high and high school were all in one room. We had the Pledge of the Flag, sang the national anthem, and I believe there was even a prayer before we went to class. Uh, the classes were so small that in high school, we might have history class with the class below us, or in English or, or math, we might have a class with class older than us. Um, everybody did everything together, and um, all the community activities revolved around the school or the Fishers Methodist Church, which we joined right away, and I was involved there. Um, my, um, when I became a cheerleader in high school, my husband was the star, or Jim Moore, was a star on the basketball team. And he had always worked on farms as he grew up and saved his money. But we got a new basketball coach from Purdue, and he said, Jim, you could play college basketball. And he was very excited about that. So the coach took him to visit colleges, and he decided he would go to Ball State and play basketball. He had always worked and saved his own money, and he knew that he could afford the tuition at Ball State. Um, 
We had our first date, I think, when I was a senior in high school, but at Fisher's, everybody did everything together. It was just a wonderful time to grow up. It was warm and friendly and peaceful and trusting, and I will always be grateful for that time that I spent there. Um, when Jim went to Ball State, I stayed home with my family and uh, worked part-time and went to Butler University. Uh, Jim played that first year at Ball State, and the thrill was playing down at the Butler Field House. But after that first year, he decided he would not continue to play basketball. In high school, he played with the same boys his whole life. They knew what everybody was going to do. And he didn't like being coached <laughs> and told how to play basketball. <laughs> so he was committed to uh, going to college and finishing his degree. Uh, in college, we started dating seriously and talking about getting married. And uh, he did not come from a very happy home, so he spent all of his time out either working or playing basketball. Um, one time during the summer when he was home, uh, we had planned to go to a movie that night. Uh, when he came, my parents were gone, and he got down on his knees, and he took out this diamond and asked me if I would marry him. And I, I was thrilled and took the diamond, and uh, so we started talking marriage and planning. We both wanted a, a large family, and we both agreed that as long as we had a family, I would stay home and take care of the family, and he would have a full-time job and support the family. Um, my sister, who I spent every waking moment with and slept with my whole life, got married uh, a year after graduation to a farmer. And she's now, they're now millionaires because of the amount of property that they own. Um, Jim um, wanted to get married. He worked part-time at uh, Muncie and arranged his schedule so that he could actually graduate early, and he immediately got a job at Indiana Bell Telephone. The first year he was there, his department run, won the basketball league for, the, for Indiana <laughs> Bell. Um, we um, were going back to the Fishers Methodist Church where we'd been married, we were both in Bible study and teaching Sunday school classes. Um, when we moved back to Fishers, we were renting a small house from a farmer that Jim had worked for. And he said to the farmer, I would like to buy an acre lot from you right here on the edge of town. And could I just pay so much a month on that lot when I pay our rent? And he said, that's fine. So by the time that lot was paid, paid for, Jim used the equity on that lot to build a new three-bedroom ranch home. And I could spend the whole faith time telling you the amazing real estate decisions that he made uh, and uh, what a blessing it was to both of us. We had very clearly defined roles. I cooked, cleaned, took care of the took care of the family. He had a full-time job, a very responsible job, and managed all the finances. Um, one Sunday, 
uh, in Sunday school class, one of his students said, uh, our basketball coach and eighth grade teacher has resigned and they're looking for a new teacher. That afternoon, he called the trustee. There were no superintendents of the school. He called the trustee and he said, I don't have a degree in education. I have a degree in business, but I thoroughly enjoy teaching. And the trustee said, I will hire you on permit if you will agree to take education classes. So that year, he coached seventh and eighth grade basketball, taught all the eighth grade classes, and went evenings to Butler to take education classes. Um, I took care of our, our new son, our baby, and stayed home. And uh, I helped grade papers and type papers for him. Um, and um, after one year in Fall Creek Township, he got a call from Carmel Schools. And they said, we want to offer you a job teaching at Orchard Park in sixth grade if you will begin a fifth and sixth grade intramural program. Well, they offered him more money, so he came to Carmel Schools. Um, he taught there two years, and Carmel uh, School Board decided that they needed to build a new elementary school, and they were going to open it in the old Carmel High School building. Uh, the junior high had been in that building, and they had gone into a new building. So he was responsible for interviewing and having a staff from kindergarten through eighth grade or through sixth grade, um, because there was a junior high school now. Um, one of the teachers that he hired had been an elementary teacher who was interested in special education classes. There had been no special ed classes in any of the schools. And he hired the first teacher, and it was eight years before the state of Indiana mandated special education classes. Um, it was a wonderful time, and during the time that he was establishing a staff and building a good relationship, um, he met with an architect because Carmel had already bought the property and was planning on building a new elementary school. Uh, it was exciting to go into a brand new school and many of the teachers that he hired uh, went with him and stayed with him until they retired or he retired. Um, after our, and Denny told you we have five children, after our fifth child was born, um, we had outgrown our home. <laughs> and so we started looking for where we could move to have room for our whole family. And we bought, um, I think it was around a 100-year-old farmhouse on the edge of Westfield and um, had enough equity in our home to begin remodeling and adding on to it. And we ended up having uh, bedrooms for all of our children and ourselves. Um, when our youngest daughter started school, I signed up to substitute teach, and I taught from everywhere, from kindergarten through high school, and even uh, taught art for two weeks when uh, the art teacher <clears throat> took a paternity leave. Um, our children were involved in every activity there was in school, 
and we were able to participate in all their activities, and it was a blessing uh, to be in a community where Jim's students and his parents were not involved. Um, our children were very involved in all the activities, and our son had joined the Fellowship of Christian Athletes because our daughters were athletic and cheerleaders. I became a sponsor of Fellowship of Christian Athletes for the girls and went to the uh, camp down in Marshall, Indiana. Uh, <clears throat> our children were growing up, getting married, graduating from college, and we eventually sold that home and bought a lovely home back in Carmel. Um, Jim's school had grown, was very, very large, um, and the teachers had stayed with him. They became our second family. Uh, he came home and shared problems that they shared with him, conflicts that there were to deal with, and so I felt that I knew his teachers almost as well as he did. Um, after some time, the um, National Education Association started giving uh, an Excellence in Education Award. And a group of his teachers sent in information about their school, and uh, they met all the criteria to be acknowledged as um, Excellence in Education. So there was a representative from Washington, D.C., who came to, the, to Carmel and interviewed the school staff, the administration, and a group of PTO parents. Uh, before he went back to Washington, we took him out to dinner, and he said, how does it feel to be married to a man who walks on water? <laughs> I thought that was exciting, but later in the evening he said, don't worry, I have plenty of responsibility to keep my feet grounded. <laughs> uh, so um, we continued to have very defined roles. I was very dependent upon him for the financial decisions, the maintenance of our home, the buying of cars and everything else. And, uh, all after, well, and I failed to say that when he became a teacher, the teachers had summers off. So he and a bunch of other teachers uh, had organized a painting crew. So all summer and sometimes on Saturday, they painted houses. So he spent many hours climbing ladders and they always had a gymnasium. So they always had basketball games too. So he continued to do that. Well. After a few years, um, all of the ladder climbing and playing basketball caught up with him. And he, be he began to have many surgeries from the top of his head to his foot and every place in between. Uh, he had the first hip replacement that went very well and he learned to walk again. Uh, but when he had his second hip replacement, it became infected. He did not respond to antibiotics. He had to have the hip removed. And Jim and I were actually the very first faith story when Betty Lindquist started that because Jim had to go to a nursing home to get around-the-clock infusions for the infection. Nobody knew what to do with somebody who did not have a hip joint. 
he managed his own care by figuring out that his legs could be put together with a therapy belt and he could use the good leg to move the other one. Uh, he recovered from that, got a new hip, and was able to walk again. Sometime later, he went to the basement and missed a basement step. He tore the quadriceps off of both of his legs. He had surgery for that, and when he came out, the doctor said, he will have to be in full-length braces until his legs heal. He will walk like a penguin, and we had, I had to put a therapy belt around him and walk with him because he walked like this, and he had, we, we had to maintain his balance. His legs had to be lifted up with these full-length braces up on the bed and down to the floor, and then walk him to a room and put him in a chair. Um, and at one point in lifting his legs with these heavy braces on, I had excruciating back pain. I had spasm that just took my breath, and I cried in pain. Um, he had a phone next to him, and he called our daughter, who is a nurse. She took off work and came and managed our care. Uh, we had family and friends who came in and helped walk him and help her out. And those teachers at the school brought us meals for days on end. One of the teacher's husband had passed away, and she donated a lift chair, an electric lift chair, so he could be put in it and manage getting in and out of the chair. He was so upset over the pain that I was experiencing that he said, when I can walk again, I will bring you coffee in bed every morning. We had always... Um, we had programmed our coffee the night before. We had always had coffee in our morn in our bedroom early morning and had devotions. It started out at 5.30 in the morning so we could have our devotions and prayer before he went to school. So that was a ritual. Well, he fulfilled that promise even after he had back surgery and had to put the tray on a walker to bring it to the bedroom. Um, he developed a cough that was very, very persistent. Uh, we went to have that diagnosed, and he was told that he had pulmonary fibrosis. He was very realistic about it. Uh, he knew that his lungs would harden, and the pulmonologist said, you will eventually have to go on oxygen. Uh, from the time uh, we continued to go back to the hospital to volunteer, we were at the hospital on January the 3rd. And he was so weak, lost his appetite, was losing weight. He called the pulmonologist and said, I think I need oxygen. So oxygen was ordered and brought to our home. From the time that he went on oxygen, he started planning his funeral. He was always very decisive about everything he did. 
he had me call a friend who had been a funeral director. And they, they were longtime friends. He and his wife came. Jim had questions about caskets. Uh, the casket is going to be closed. I don't want a casket from China. Excuse me, Yasin. And that you don't have to be embalmed if the casket's going to be closed. And he made me promise the casket would be closed. Our friend was hard of hearing, and he leaned over to hear what Jim was having to say. And uh, Jim said, thinking as he always did, Dick, if you can use them, I'll will my hearing aids to you. Indeed, those hearing aids were adjusted for our friend, and he took them. Um, Next, he had me call a former pastor that he'd always, a young man that we, he'd always said he wanted to be a part of his funeral. He and his wife came. There was total peace. There was, it was, there was nothing mournful about it. And then we called Tom and Linda Macy to come, who'd become very good friends with us. And Tom knows there was nothing morbid about it. He laughed and talked about everything that he planned um, and was very decisive. And then Tom met with Greg, and they planned. Um, a few days later, um, in the early morning, he said, I don't think it's going to be very long. So I called our two children who lived nearby, and they called the three children who were out of state. Uh, our daughter, who was the nurse, had moved to Arizona. She flew in from Arizona, our son from Michigan drove down, and our daughter from Atlanta, Georgia flew in. It was Martin Luther King Day, so everybody was out of school and off work, and our bedroom and our bed filled with family and friends. Uh, they came with tears in their eyes, and they were soon laughing because Jim continued to spend uh, two relate funny stories and had them laughing. Uh, at one point, he slipped off his wedding ring and dropped it in my hand. Uh, at another point, he had me go to the drawer and get out a little tiny wooden cross. He held it out in his hands and he showed the kids. I carried this little cross in my pocket the whole time I was a principal and I, I could reach in and know who I depended upon and ask God to lead me in the decisions that I made. And he dropped that in my hand. Each thing that he did and said brought a sense of closure. Uh, so that evening, uh, the, the three children from out of state stayed at our house. So they were there with me and the other two went home for the night. The next morning, um, some of the children took off work and came back to the house. Um, our, grand, our oldest granddaughter is an English teacher, and she was sitting on the end of the bed at his feet, and he said, Joy, I want you to share for the family in the funeral. And she said, I will, Grandpa. And he said, Mildred, I want you to call one of the teachers and ask, two of them to share. He had been retired for 22 years, 
but the teachers were still our extended family. Um, he said he had worn a coat and tie his whole career. He said, I want you to bury me in my jeans, my black belt, my blue flannel shirt, and you can put socks on me, but give my shoes away. Um, at one time, after one of his recoveries, um, he had said to me, you know, if something happened to you, I would have to marry again. And I said, well, that's okay. Just don't pick her out while I'm here. <laughs> but there was never one second that I ever imagined having to go on without him. I had been so very dependent on the way wise decisions that he made all of our life. So uh, after all the arrangements were made and he had given instructions, he even told me to make sure I paid the veteran bill, that the trash went out on Wednesday. He, he, he told me he was very lucid to the very last breath. So on that second day before everybody left, uh, we gathered around the bed and held hands and said the Lord's Prayer. Um, two of our children who were staying in the house lay down for the night, and our daughter Carol, who was the nurse, was on one side of him checking his oxygen level, and I was on the other side holding his hand. Um, late in the night, he said, take my oxygen off. And we both said we couldn't do that. And he said, well, let's get this over with. And he took his oxygen off. Um, his breathing became very, very labored. And when he took his last breath, Carol looked at the clock and she said, it's 1.18 on January the 18th. It's just like dad to be precise. <laughs> There was an awesome peace and quiet in our room for some time. I did not cry at that time. Uh, I knew where Jim was. I knew that he was where he wanted to be. Um, and it was a little while before we woke the other children up and called the necessary people to make arrangements. I was surrounded by family and friends and Tom went with us to the funeral home to make the arrangements. Um, and when we had the calling at the funeral home, Tom can tell you, uh, because Jim was a principal in Carmel, because we had five children who knew everybody, the calling went on for hours and hours. I had not slept for I don't know how long. I barely remember eating and I was just on coast during the whole time. We went through the calling, the funeral, and the burial. And when we went back home, everybody started making arrangements to return home. All at once, I was totally alone. I had never been alone my whole life. And I started sobbing. And I don't know that I prayed as much as I just said, Lord, I cannot live without him. 
I want to die too. Please let me die. And I know that if you could will to die, I would have. And I cried and cried and cried. My family or friends would come by and wrap me in their arms, and I continued to cry. Uh, you can only grieve for so long. And I realized I wasn't going to die. Um, we had always been into the Bible. When we had devotions, we had started many years before uh, reading the Bible through in a year. So the Bible was very much a part of me, and I knew the Word of God. And uh, Philippians 4 came to me, be not anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests be known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I had the peace of God. And I said, Lord, if you're not going to let me die, then you're going to have to show me how to live. Uh, I went back to St. Vincent's Hospital to volunteer. Sally encouraged me to get involved in the FIAC program, and I volunteered for that. Uh, I was in a book club with the retired teachers, and they're still my second family. Um, the scriptures that I depend upon are, um, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth is, I have a savior. I know where I'm going. Uh, I know that one day I'll spend eternity there. Um, Not very long ago, I uh, pulled out a book. I had loaned it to a friend, and it was returned, a book by Billy Graham called Nearing Home. And he gave all this practical information about when you know that you're elderly and you have to make these arrangements. Uh, there are all these practical things that you need to do for yourself and for your family. And one of the things that he said that hit the nail on the head was, I am convinced that we never learn how to live until we're prepared to die. I knew that I was prepared to die and that the Lord was going to have to see me through living each and every day. Many times during my prayer, I'll say, Lord, I'm ready to go whenever you're ready for me, so just take me any time. Uh, and he has met my every need, and I'm thankful for that. Um, I would like to close with the words to a song that's become very meaningful to me. I have an old turntable and a record uh, by Mahalia Jackson, and she sings, My Friend. My friend is a king of all kings, and yet my friend walks beside me. My friend drew the sun and the earth, and yet my friend stops and guides me. My friend takes my hand just when all appears in vain and makes it plain through joy and pain, he will remain my friend. My friend tells me life is a road, and though it ends at the bending, beyond the bend, there's a road that's unending. And someday, when I walk down this happy road of life, Beyond the ban, who will there be to welcome me, my friend? Thank you.